Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the one map down, one more to go edition. This week, we're explaining how to riot at a youth prison started, why we won't be drawing another set of maps for Ohio's congressional districts, when fracking might start underneath our state parks, and whether a Republican Senate candidate has lived up to his promise. Joining me this week is our lovely reporter, Laura Bischoff. Hey, Anna. Yeah, and if this sounds a little different audio-wise, it's because I'm at home nursing a cold while Laura is in studio. We figured it was best just to... Stay a little separated while I recover from the plague. Absolutely. I do not want to be in a small, confined room with you while you are ill. So we're going to dive into our topics, but before we get into it, I'm going to take a quick second and ask you, like I always do, to consider leaving Oak a review on Apple iTunes. Reviews help get more ears listening to this podcast, and as always, I super duper, triple, super appreciated. I'm going to see how many like superlatives I can add in there until people like leave reviews. So if you want me to stop? should probably be fun. But our first topic is redistricting. This week, we learned that Ohio won't be drawing a congressional map this year. The 2022 boundaries for our 15 districts to the U.S. House of Representatives will be used again in 2024. And if you aren't following Ohio politics super closely, the reason why might surprise you. The groups who objected to the maps dropped their court challenges. That's right. The groups who successfully argued before the state Supreme Court that this particular map unfairly favored Republicans over Democrats basically decided that it's better than what they might get if they tried to do it over. So they dropped their objection and the Ohio Supreme Court dismissed the case. Yeah, I think that the those folks figured out that rather than duke it out in court and open the door for an even more skewed map uh, in their view, maybe they should put the focus on redistricting 2.0 or maybe it's 3.0 or 4.0 at this point. And that would be, you know, trying to get um, another issue on the statewide ballot. This is something that former Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor and former Ohio Supreme Court Justice Yvette McGee-Brown are working together on. That's a, she's, O'Connor's a Republican and McGee-Brown is a Democrat and they're both former justices. And so I think that the, the whole focus has been um, just a shift there. They've kind of written off uh, what's already happened. Yeah. For those who um, haven't been following all this back and forth, they submitted some language to get on the ballot for 2024. That was rejected. They have resubmitted. That's kind of par for the course, though. Sometimes it takes a while for groups to get constitutional amendment language dialed in. But you could soon, in just a couple of weeks, maybe, um, you know, be seeing signature gatherers out there asking you if you want to try again to change the way we do redistricting. So, yeah, it seems like they're not really interested in trying to like work with the current map. And that kind of raises a question for me about what's going to happen with the state house and state senate maps, because we are going to redraw those here in the next couple of weeks. And that's one of the questions, right? Like, how much work are we going to put into it with this potential amendment moving over everyone's head? Yeah, I think that um, the Ohio Redistricting Commission is supposed to meet next week around Wednesday or so to kick off that process. And of course, our colleague Jesse Ballmer is going to be all over that. Thank God. There's only so many topics that uh, each of us can cover. And we're very fortunate that we have a big enough team to specialize. Absolutely. 
Our second topic is a prison riot that happened almost a year ago. This week, Laura learned what happened at the Indian River Juvenile Correctional Facility in October 2022 and how a group of teens managed to barricade themselves inside a classroom for several hours. So, Laura, what did, what did we learn about this juvenile prison riot this week? Well, again, this happened in October 2022, and we submitted a public records request for the investigative report and the surveillance video shortly after it happened, and the state just responded to that to that request last week. And essentially, the, the investigators were told by the youth the kids at the at the prison that they were st- they were really tired of uh, being stuck in their rooms um, for extended periods and uh, they have a they had a new staffer new uh, guard who didn't know that he shouldn't open the door for a teen who was um, behind locked doors when the teen had asked for water and that kid got out pushed his way out snatched the guard's keys and then went off to let other kids out. And then by then, you know, everybody in the facility sees what's going on and another guard's keys got snatched. So then you had kids from multiple units, you know, getting out and they went into the the school building um, and barricaded themselves in there and really kind of trashed the place, did about Well, at least $265,000 in damage. Five different police agencies responded. Um, The kids live streamed it on Facebook and this was a big mess. And so anyway, it's it's just sort of indicative of how how dangerous um, some of these youth prisons can be. Yeah, and it's also I think it's indicative of how long sometimes we have to wait for public records. You know, it, it took nearly a year for us to to get the details on what happened. Even though I believe in your story, it said they completed their investigation back in July. That's correct. And you know, the Ohio the Ohio Open Records Law requires prompt production of records, and so once a once an investigation is closed out, it should be should be turned over. Well, I appreciate you keeping at it. And uh, just a quick sneak peek for our listeners, we're going to be hearing lots about youth prisons in the coming weeks. Laura's got some really great work coming up, and that's, that's all I'm going to say about it. All righty. Our third topic is about a PAC, the Ohio Matters Political Action Committee, to be specific. It was started by State Senator Matt Dolan after he came in third in that bruising Republican primary for U.S. Senate. He said Ohio Matters would support issue-minded Republicans like him who were looking to move the state past former President Donald Trump. But as our colleague Haley B. Miller found out this week when she checked up on the PAC, the main person getting assistance from this fund seems to be Dolan himself. Yeah, a lot of the money is going toward, um, I think, a political consultant who worked on Dolan's campaign. And uh, the other thing that Haley found out is that, um, you know, Matt Dolan had pledged to contribute his own money to this um, to this leadership pack, and that hasn't happened yet either. Yeah, and it hasn't raised a ton of money, you know, under, I think it was right around the $100,000 mark, which obviously, you know, would be a huge amount of money to me. But in terms of politics, particularly in terms of statewide races or federal races, that's not a lot of money. So there's also this question of how effective this pack could be in pushing issue-minded candidates, given the small amount of money that's raised over the last year. Well, also the the contributions it's made so far um, have been you know, pretty small, like a thousand dollars here, two hundred fifty there, two hundred fifty there. So it's really it has not been a you know a major player. Our fourth and final topic is fracking underneath our state parks. So Ohio has had a law in the books for about a decade that allowed the Department of Natural Resources, well, through the Oil and Gas Commission, so it's kind of that's how it's nestled, to lease mineral rights underneath our state parks for oil and gas exploration. 
but this law wasn't being used. Not a single lease had been signed, and this upset some Republicans who thought they should be leasing these uh, mineral rights if they got applications from qualified companies. So late last year, very late actually, both in terms of the legislative session and the hour of the day that it happened, they changed the language from may permit to shall permit. And, you know, that just means that now if there is an application and it's from a valid company, the state has to say yes. And there's been at least 10 applications, including one for Salt Fork, where I actually went boating with my family over the weekend. Yeah, you know, it, it, this really kind of boils down to, because there's, you know, there's opponents and there's and supporters of it, but it boils down to an essential question, which is, can the state both preserve and profit off of the public lands? And really, the answer depends on, on who you ask. And, and, you know, um, drilling in the state parks or adjacent to the state parks is very attractive to the oil and gas industry because it's like one property owner to deal with. And you don't have to, you know, secure leases and agreements with, um, you know, a dozen different properties if you're fracking across a mile worth of worth of land. Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions uh, that is being raised from the opposition is, so Governor Mike DeWine says that he won't allow surface drilling, which means you're not going to see drilling pads or any of the stuff that goes along with it inside the confines of the state park. They would have to find private land and work on an agreement with whoever the owner is in order to basically, it's almost like a bendy straw, right? They drill down in that property and then like curve towards the um the public land. But there is this question of, you know, there's nothing in the law that explicitly prohibits surface drilling. And what would the next governor do? And just because DeWine is opposed to it, does it mean that whoever comes after him wouldn't be? Yeah, I think that that, you know, that's a that's a valid point. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of public outcry against this. And there's a lot of um, scrutiny and attention paid to it. So, you know, I think that it's just going to be interesting to see how it goes forward and how many of these operations, you know, get launched while DeWine is still in office and how many are, are yet to come after that. And one more thing before you go. The calls for the resignation of Republican Bob Young got louder this week. Governor Mike DeWine said the twice arrested state representative should resign. And 34 of his GOP colleagues wrote an open letter saying they no longer believe that he can effectively serve his district. For those of you who don't remember, Young was arrested on charges of domestic violence, assault, and then, more recently, violating an order of protection. I will say he's pled not guilty to all of these accusations. Yeah, it's very difficult to push out an, an elected um, representative, as um, as the case of Larry Householder tells us, and, and the case of others who, who got into trouble with the law or just with bad behavior. And, you know, some of them, some of those representatives um, uh, left and some of them hung on. Yeah, you know, that was one of the interesting things. I was talking with Representative Brian Stewart about this. He's one of the lawmakers who signed on saying that Young should resign. And he said, you know, being in the legislature isn't like another job. There's a certain expectation of like who you are and the way you will conduct yourself. And he sort of summed it up saying that um, so Young has to wear a GPS monitoring device as a condition of his release since he uh, violated that order of protection. And, you know, Stewart said, you would think that somebody who had to wear an ankle monitor wouldn't come to the floor of the Ohio House, but here we are. And it is sort of that interesting question of, like, are, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but are there certain situations where what you are accused of doing is enough that you shouldn't hold public office, which is kind of ties back to Larry Householder. That's ultimately what his colleagues decided. 
Right, but it took them almost a year uh, to to remove Larry Householder, expel him from the house, and and that was a case that was just massive in scope and and money. And Householder, I think, was the first in more than a hundred years to be expelled. Yeah, and he was also accused of like political corruption. He was accused of using his office for inappropriate political gain. I, I guess I don't have to say accused anymore, since a jury of his peers convicted of convicted him of it ultimately, but. Uh, when he was expelled, he hadn't been convicted criminally. But yeah, I mean, in talking with some folks, it doesn't sound like Bob Young is going to be expelled from office if he chooses to return. But it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how that dynamic plays out when the legislature comes back. Absolutely. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we've covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Minerva News Leader. That's the-review.com backslash Minerva. 